The Son of God goes forth to war, a kingly crown to gain. His blood-red banner streams afar, who follows in his train, who best can drink his cup of water. Welcome to Death and Glory Podcast, live from Studio K. Death and Glory Podcast exists to remind Christians to love our King, die with honor, and live with hope imperishable, because Christ has been raised from the dead. I'm Peter Rasmussen, and today I'm joined by my co-host Jordan Parks, and we're also very excited to have with us, as an in-person guest, our dear little friend, Joe. But before we get started, we want to remind you to check out Puritan.pub. This is a digital safe haven for Christians seeking a social media alternative to big tech. It was developed by a dear brother, Aaron Shapowalaf, and is a great way to connect with other believers. Open your browser and go to puritan.pub slash terms for more information. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you, brothers. You uh, you are required on the show to stay to where you go to church, your local congregation. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Uh, I'm a member of Faith Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Amen. Joe, just give us uh, a brief bio about yourself, where you're from, what you like to do, and we'll get rolling. Yeah, uh, I've, I've been a... Resident of the Kansas City Metro for, well, since 03. I moved to town in 03 uh, after kind of an, an odyssey starting uh, up in Minneapolis-St. Paul. Minnesota. Minnesota. And uh, landed in Kansas City by way of Orlando, Florida, uh, and uh, a couple of spots in between. Um, I'm a uh, married father of four. I'm in sales. And, um, yeah, I like... Baseball, I like uh, wilderness trekking, exploration kind of stuff. Uh, spent a lot of, Dad always took one of us or some of us every summer up to the Boundary Waters in northern Minnesota. So did a lot of uh, canoeing and backcountry camping and fishing and all that kind of stuff. So um, We've camped together before. We right? have. We have. And uh, at least twice. I think you're right. Yeah. I think I just about I just about lit everybody on fire with <laughs> with bacon the grease. Bacon, yeah, the that bacon was fire. Fun. That was something. The boys the boys got a kick out of that. Um, yeah, uh, I've I've uh, when I had time in my life, I read a lot. Uh, but with uh, with four kids and and uh, other growing adult type responsibilities, my my free time is is pretty much uh, uh, sopped up in that. Church stuff. Love serving a church, and um, Amen. love uh, love the brethren there. So um, we appreciate you making the time on your very busy schedule to come sit here. <laughs> yeah. Former metal metal head, right? Oh uh, yeah. Maybe current. Uh, no. Uh, spent a lot of money and time uh, in the uh, underground scene uh, as a. As a much younger man, um, uh, punk rock, metalhead, that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, did a, rocked a couple of parties, you know, um, uh, as they say. Uh, but uh, glory, glory days being gone. The the uh, right, I can honestly say right now is uh, best time of my life. So, amen. Yeah, very good. Well, we've got Joe on the show today to talk about. Um, well, Joe, I think you're actually the one that approached maybe Peter. I can't remember about this article. Uh, Gene Edward Veith. Uh, called A Tale of Two Funerals, and uh, uh, our past two guests, Gary Scott and Michael Foster, have both brought up funerals and the importance of good Christian funerals, and so um, before we get into this, I think we're going to read the whole thing. It's only about a three-minute read. Um, Can you you just give us a brief, uh, I don't know, sentence or two about, you know, why this article stood out to you that Mm. you said you... Hey, guys, I need to know about this. Yeah. Well, I think it started as a conversation at Puritan.pub. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, um, gosh, yeah, I read this, uh, read this article uh, from V uh, years ago. Uh, I can't even remember what the circumstances were where it it grabbed my attention. I think, um, his, uh, his juxtaposition and, and his, uh, that, that he lays out here, uh, was compelling to me. Um, I, I had actually been thinking a lot of, and we can get into this later, um, but something that's always uh, piqued my interest is um, public mourning 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, gosh, this could go all the way back to our culture has lost so many rites of passage. Our culture has lost so many rituals uh, that would normally mark the, the big events of somebody's life. A dear friend, my best man, uh, was uh, was an English lit major, uh, and he wrote a compelling essay 25 years ago about rites of passage, mm-hmm. and and so I've, I've kind of that grabbed me. And um, his his view was every young man should have to mix concrete for a summer. <laughs> he said it has to be hard uh, and uh, fairly menial, uh, but uh, overcoming is is the point. Um, and uh, so that kind of made my ears attuned to kind of keeping an eye out for, for other spots. Um, the, I don't know about other parts of the country, but, uh, here in the Midwest, you'll see these roadside, these little roadside monuments, uh, where, where somebody, you know, died in a car accident or motorcycle accident or something. Um, and, and I think come to think of it, I think there was another piece of, of my, developing understanding of this uh, probably came through the White Horse Inn again decades ago when they were doing that in the early 2000s. They talked about the um, modern society's sanitizing of, of death um, and uh, about how churches, you know, used to have graveyards uh, surrounding them and how every Sunday you would walk right past grandpa and grandma, mom and dad, maybe even your, your own buried infant or, uh, or what have you. And so, yeah, just kind of all those things sort of, uh, were kind of swirling around in my brain for a few years. And then Veith's article really illustrated some more of the, of the, um, the poverty, I think of, of the modern, um, habits of, uh, isolating ourselves from grief. Um, you know, we, we kind of live in Disneyland. You can go, you can go your whole life uh, without ever seeing a dead body in, in here in the American Midwest, whereas other parts of the world, it's still a very much a, a normal part of people's existence is, right. is seeing from a young age dead people. Well. Yeah. 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 From a young age. Yeah. Well, I guess before we get into the article, do you have any really bad um, or even Maybe in some cases, it sounds odd to say, funny <laughs> funeral experiences that you've been through. Oh man, um, you know I I don't. Uh, I guess I've I've been uh, blessed that the funerals that I have attended in my life have been properly sober affairs. At this point, I've yep, all four of my grandparents are now passed. Um, both my folks are with with us. Um, and, um, I've had some friends die over the years and, um, I can't, I can't think that didn't have a good answer for you. I didn't have anything that was no, necessarily fine. bad or anything that was, that was probably a good thing. humorous. Right. Yeah. The boring or the better. Yeah. Yeah. Which is actually, I think a part of, uh, Veith's point yeah. is, is that, uh, uh, funny things will happen. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's also part of life. Uh, and, and recognizing when they do isn't wrong. Right. Uh, <laughs> but um, I think the uh, yeah, it is a blessing to have had very normal funeral experiences. Well, let's get into it. Unless you have anything, Peter. Nope. Okay, let's do it. So, if you're looking for this article, it is on uh, ligonier.org. Um, and again, the title of it is "A Tale of Two Funerals" by Jean Edward Veith. And we'll put a link in the show notes. Yes, we will do that. A young man I knew died in a tragic traffic accident. His death was utterly sad. At his funeral, his friends were all wearing t-shirts adorned with his picture. At the front of the church, we heaped up flowers, footballs, and stuffed animals. On top of his coffin was a picture from his senior prom. The service began with a recording of his favorite song, Heavy Metal Power Ballad. The preacher gave a eulogy, praising how the teenager was such a good friend, such a good person, recounting some of the funny things he used to say, telling about his dreams he had for his life. Everybody in the church was crying. Then his best friend got up to say a few words. He was sobbing. He finally croaked out his goodbye as the congregation joined his sobs. His girlfriend recited a poem she wrote about how much she loved him. Then the boy's grief-stricken father had to get up in front of everybody to talk about his son. 
As if all of this emotion were not wrenching enough, the funeral director next played a video, showing highlights of the boy's life, his baby pictures, playing with his friends, enjoying Christmas with his family, waving at the camera. There was not a dry eye in the house. People said what a beautiful funeral it was. Another funeral I attended was of another young person who died in a tragic death, one that was even more senseless and horrible. She had been raped and murdered by a serial killer. I was one of the elders on duty. My job was to keep the news media away from the family. At this funeral, the congregation sang old hymns. They were in a minor key, but the lyrics centered on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The grievers joined together in a responsive reading of the Word of God. The pastor, garbed in black, read more texts from the Bible. Instead of a eulogy, the pastor recited the facts of the girl's life, emphasizing her baptism, her catechesis, her confession of faith. He described how she joined the church, her confirmation, and her regular reception of the Lord's Supper. The pastor, preaching from the Bible, gave a sermon on our, tra on our travails in this wicked world, on how the Son of God entered our sinful condition, how his sacrifice and his promises we have, sorry, how in his sacrifices and his promises we have a sure and certain hope that this poor child has entered into everlasting joy. The justice of God will be manifest, and so will his mercy, and he will wipe away every tear. We sang some more hymns. The mood was sad and somber, but the word of God that permeated the whole service was like a lifeline, or rather, like a strong arm supporting us in our grief. Yes, we cried, but the funeral gave us strength. Our culture does not know how to handle death. We insulate ourselves from it. The dying pass away out of sight. We are terrified of death, and so we sentimentalize it. The contemporary funeral deals with grief by indulging it, even feeding it. A successful funeral, with its heart-wrenching personal testimonials, its parade of mourners mourning out their anguish, the emotional manipulation of the congregation, works by creating an emotional catharsis. The upsurge of feeling can indeed feel cleansing. As at the ending of a tragedy, the emotions are purged, the bereaved feel drained, the aftermath, in Milton's words, is calm of mind, all passions spent. The grievers really do feel better. But how different is a traditional Christian funeral? In a Christian service of the burial of the dead, the mourner's grief is fully acknowledged and shared, but it is channeled into a contemplation and prayer. The grievers are not, are not given to catharsis, but consolation. That consolation is not to be found in how good of a guy the dear departed was. Even Christian funerals sometimes miss the point. My former, my former pastor refused to deliver eulogies. It is not fitting, he would say, nor is it comforting to dwell at a funeral on the dead person's good works. When we die, we dare not stand before God claiming how good we are. So that must not be the emphasis at a funeral. The dead person's only hope is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the only hope of the grievers at the funeral who have been forced to confront the reality of death, tend to be uniquely receptive to spiritual truth. My pastor would deflect attention from the person who died to the person who died and rose again. He would preach Jesus, the cross, the atonement, the imputation of his righteousness, the resurrection, as the victor over death, hell, and the grave. He would not preach into a vacuum, but into the hearts of the grieving family and friends. He would connect Christ's resurrection to the resurrection of their loved ones and to theirs. We did not leave this funeral drained but comforted. He moved us from desolation to faith. We still hurt, but we were given hope, not in ourselves, at a funeral we experienced, or sorry, let me read that again. Not in ourselves, at a funeral we experience as at no other time in our frailty and helplessness, but in someone stronger at a time when we need strength. Amen. That's a great uh, juxtaposition there of Kind of the modern feel good uh give me some emotions funeral and one that uh points to christ and called us to repentance what um i know you kind of gave us a brief, brief overview but you know digging a little deeper what really stands out to you as we as we read that uh 
the way that Vieth put his finger on, I think, overexpressive displays of 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 personal grief. Mm. Um, and and I do want to be obviously you guys do too. Want to be careful and cautious and um, not insulting people. Oh yeah. Who uh, who uh, may find themselves described or may find their loved one's funeral described in that in more described in that first one in that first example. Um, there is a what what struck me this time even just listening to you read it was how. Vith is a, a Missouri Synod Lutheran. Okay. Um, and, uh, Serious guy. Yeah. I've read one of his books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, from the, uh, as I understand it, the fairly traditional end of that, uh, that uh, spectrum. So you could even take kind of the same description and lay it over church services on any given Sunday where the, the churchgoers come for a kind of personal expression of their own devotion to God, of their own love, of, of their own passions uh, toward God, over against uh, a, a liturgical, traditional Lutheran service. You know, so I, I suppose somebody might say, well, he might he would say that. He's just a stuffed shirt high churchman. Um, but I, but I think he's on to it because this is the era of self-expression. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't remember who said it, but we have moved the locus of men. Men once were sure of the truth, but doubtful of themselves. Mm -hmm. Men today are sure of themselves, but doubtful of the truth mm -hmm. and, uh, self-expression being sure of yourself. Uh, being um, self-expression is is it's like the highest form of truth. It's like the highest form of truth, and uh, it, it. I mean, you could fill in any number of cultural tropes here. Um, uh, where I'm, I'm 43. I grew up in the public schools. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, and um, not 43, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> From a young age, I was always taught to express yourself and be yourself, and um, uh, lots of um, you know, even even uh, <clears throat> creative writing was about exploring your own feelings. And and I, I was listening to Leonard Skinner the other day. And, Good. Yeah, I was playing playing that for my kids. You know, I yeah. But then when you actually listen to the lyrics of Simple Man, you're like, I can't let my kids listen to that. No, <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just just find yourself, you know. Right. Yeah. Even Skinner was Boomer. Yeah. You know, uh, it was um, and and has been uh, since the fifties and sixties. Uh, our culture has been uh, completely committed to self. Has been uh, I am the center of the universe, and in a if on any given Sunday, you'll see that in many churches. And Vieth's diagnosis of it here at this funeral, I think, again. Not wanting to insult people, but we all have blind spots. We all have, uh, we've all been affected by the self-culture in ways that, that we don't even know, myself and you guys included. Mm -hmm. um, and so you see that self-expression being that highest uh, form of truth at that funeral. And and so it's it, it becomes less about the death and and more about how I feel about this death. And um, so that, that grabbed me in, in a new way when you were reading that. Very good. Yeah. So um, why, I guess, why does this matter? I think a lot of people would retort with that. Like, why, what, why is this a big deal? You know, who, uh, who are you to tell me? Who how to tell grieve? me or like my, my illustrious co-host wrote out, aren't you just being officious with this? Like, right. You know, jump into that for us. Right, right. Aren't you, yeah. Um, well, yeah. I, I, on the one hand, you take anybody's opinion with, you know, whatever you paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Our, our culture has really 
renegotiated a lot of the things that throughout 10,000 years, 5,000 years of human history. I don't know. I'm not good on that. My wife's 6,000. Thank you. My wife does the homeschooling. Can't handle you present. Yep. Um, By the way, that is a long time. It is. So that doesn't mean you're necessarily young earth. You know, six, anyways, that's a rep <laughs> Young is a relative term. That's yeah, true. That's I mean, true. You know, 6,000 yeah. years is a long time. That's an old earth. Um, uh, we, have, we have renegotiated a lot of things in the past 100 years. Uh, I mean, depends on where you pin modernism, but um, the, why does it matter? Um, it matters because, I, I guess maybe we could turn it around and say, what are the fruits of the new way of dealing with death? Do we have, do we have a world where people are more sober about their eternity or less? Do we have a world where uh, people are more respectful of their ancestors or less? Do we have a world where the people are uh, less afraid of death or more? I think the answers are, are fairly obvious sure. here. Um, we are more terrified of death than, than we've ever been in the West. Uh, we are less respectful of our departed families than we've ever been. Um, we are more careless about eternity than we've ever been. And, and so to, I know correlation and causation are different, but I'm a correlation guy. Um, we've, we have cast aside the, uh, the traditional and Christian ways of dealing with death and what fruit has it borne? Uh, I think it's, it's plain. It's, it's born bad fruit. Sure. Um, he even said we've sentimentalized yeah. all of this. Mm -hmm. It's very plastic and mm -hmm. soft and... Mm -hmm. There's ne it, you, you can't get to the, the heart core of why we're all here gathered around mm -hmm. crying. Mm -hmm. Are people more hopeful for eternity or less? Yeah. Right? I, I mean, there's, a, there's something that is still human that can't but happen. Like, these, we, we will grieve somehow. It's just that it's, it's now been so, our, our grief has been interpreted for us by naturalism, psychology, you know, uh, psychoanalytical categories, um, uh, bad presuppositions about yeah. what death is. Right, right. I mean, I know I've heard uh, Pastor Logan talk about before when he's gone and visited uh, church members in the hospital. I think he's walked in on, you know, doctors speaking with their patients and you know, going through the quote-unquote grieving process. Well, you know, death is just a part of life. No, no, it's not. That is completely contrary to the economy and the way that God created the universe. God created life, and death is a, a disruption and a curse in God's good world. It is not a part of life. And, and death will be tossed into the lake of fire. Yes. Death will die. D death will die. Uh, death's end is the same end as the devil and his demons. Amen. And all those who will not repent. Right. Yeah, why else does it matter? What do you guys think? Well, I do think there is something to that um, church services being focused on man instead of Christ. Glorifying God. Just, the glory just, is to man. And then that goes over into funerals because that's what people expect because that's the services they're going to at those churches. And they want, I mean, that's, they go to a service, someone um, gives them a message about, well, you know, here's how you are insufficient and here's what you can do about it. You know, mm -hmm. it's about you and how you can fix yourself. And then <clears throat> when you go to funeral, what, do you, what are you left with? Well, you got to kind of sentimentalize it say, oh, you know, well, they're in heaven, blah, 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 and just do this like, kind of weird routine like we're seeing here. And um, I don't know. I don't want to call out my extended family. They probably will never hear this. Do it. May never get invited back to there. But anyways, my uncle passed, oh, it was November of 
21, I think. And his funeral was very much like that. Except for, I mean, they, you know, they had a pastor from Life Church there. And, um, you know, it was all about, oh, you know, he's in heaven. And it's like, well, maybe, but that would have been my guess. You know, I, I don't know what his, mm-hmm. you know, whether he was saved or not. You know, I don't know whether he was a believer. Yeah. And, uh, you know. Yeah, another, another thing that I think, um, another touch point of why does it matter. Um, officious is a good word. Uh, aren't, aren't you just being officious? Uh, I, I stole that from Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, whole, the whole thing of, of catharsis, it, it, obviously it's a short article, you can't get into everything. But, but that is a, a, a psychoanalytic trope, which is you're sad because of repressed emotions. The answer to getting over your sadness is to let all of those emotions out. And, uh, and for sure, uh, during, during my, uh, my uh, late teens and early 20s of my life, uh, that definitely, even that perspective, even that trope, affected my spirituality, right? Um, you need, you need to, it, it just, it just affected the way that the one approached worship of God, um, as opposed to approaching worship the way that God has, uh, directed sure. him to be worshiped. Because again, who are you to say that my outpouring of emotion is wrong? Um, I think the answer is, um, I'm, I guess I'm nobody to say so, uh, except that does this, does my outpouring of emotion, um, is it self-controlled? Because self-control is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit living within you. Um, and, and self-control, um, again, uh, God is, is, um, he, he's a God of order. He's a God of, uh, he's not a God of chaos. And, 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 uh, it's almost like, boy, this is, this is going to sound corny. I don't even like, it's like Cyclops, the X-Man without his visor. It's just this uncontrolled outpouring of, of, uh, lasers. (laughs) And, um, and it can, uh, the the things that the traditional service gives us is guardrails so that we're not flailing about and swinging our, our, you know, our, our emotional fists around. Number one, you can, you can do damage to other people. <laughs> Number two, you can hurt yourself. <laughs> uh, the, uh, in, in Veith's juxtaposition here, the, um, the traditional Christian service, uh, gives, helps you to channel your, your grief according to truth, um, in, in in such a way as to, could we properly call it productive grief? Uh, could we properly call it God honoring grief? Um, if it's if it, if our grief is um, bounded by a, a Christian truth, yeah, and an understanding of His uh, His sovereignty, right, right. Um, because the and this gets into my own uh, experience. Uh, embracing reformed pi- piety, not just reformed theology, but reformed piety, so that um, you know, un- understanding that our channels, there are, I don't know what the right word is. Uh, there's there there is structure to the life of devotion to Christ, right? Um, that are good uh, in an, in an age where, I mean, we've had sixty years now of Free love and and baby murder. Baby, well, baby murder. Uh, uh, I'm just telling it like it is, man. Mm. Yeah, well, you're being disrespectful. Yeah. You know, um, we've we've embraced we've circled back around to that self-expression thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the um, that's another reason that it matters. It, it helps to channel our grief in God-honoring ways because because that's the thing. I can I can have had a bad day at work. I could be mad about uh, some customer that you know didn't return my call and gave gave his business to somebody else. It is my duty to deal with my disappointments. It's my duty to, to my wife and to my children to not come home and if I had a dog to not come home and kick the dog. <laughs> you know, 
we know we know that it is good to control your emotions uh, in, in in those kinds of circumstances. Um, why don't we apply that same principle to to something like this, where where it's almost like it would be this is where it's most important, right? At the end, well, when he mentioned there at the end of the article that um, you know at this Christian funeral that we were still sad, like we're still mm-hmm. mourning death, and we should. Death is a horrible thing. Yeah. But when he said, but but we we were strengthened by it. I think when you don't have those guardrails and kind of those things that can push you back onto the straight and narrow and how to deal with with grief grief in a biblical way, I think that's where you get into despair. Mm-hmm. You know, like grieving as those who have no hope. Exactly. Yeah. And like I don't know if you're I'm sure your wives have read Anne of Green Gables before and uh, the main character's kind of faux drama of, you know, I, oh, I'm in the depths of despair, the depths of despair. <laughs> oh, my kids love those. Oh, and, and they're great, yeah. They're great. Yeah, they're funny. But, but we, are, we are dealing with a culture that is literally, and in, in the worst sense, not, not ironically, right. in the depths of despair. Right, and it's funny because, because we all know, stop being so dramatic. Right, yeah, it's silly. <laughs> it's, it's overblown. Right. But... When you look at the suicide rate out there, when you see, um, al- you know, alcoholism rates, when you see, you know, especially in the last several years with all the COVID stuff and, you know, people dying, they don't know where to turn to. It's like that, that's where despair comes in. And then, like you said, we, they are, they're mourning without any sense of hope. Mm-hmm. So that's why those guardrails are important. Mm-hmm. Can I read you a quote from Roger Scruton? Please do. <clears throat> I want to do a British accent. Thank you. In our civilization, therefore... Religion is the force that has enabled us to bear our losses and so to face them as truly ours. The loss of religion makes real loss difficult to bear. Hence, people begin to flee from loss, to make light of it with disnifying ornaments, or to expel from themselves the feelings that make it inevitable. They do not do this in the way of the Upanishads, I don't know what that is, uh, which exhort us to an immense spiritual labor whereby we free ourselves from the weight of dharma and slowly ascend to the blessed state of Brahman. The path of renunciation presupposes, after all, that there is something to renounce. Modern people use drugs, instant excitements, and commodified sex in order to forestall both love and mourning, to arrive at the condition where renunciation is pointless since there is nothing to renounce. Renunciation of love is possible only when you have learned to love. That is why, in a society without religion, we see emerging a kind of contagious hardness of heart, an assumption on every side that there is no tragedy, no grief, no mourning, for there is nothing to mourn. There is neither love nor happiness, only fun. The loss of religion, one might suggest, is the loss of loss. Hmm. I think Scruton is too kind to Eastern yeah. thinkers there. Yeah. Um, he he wants to be magnanimous and and say, you guys... He wants to say that this isn't like uh, the the Hindu or the Buddhist who has a lot of really hard work to do to overcome. I, I think it's I think it's reasonable to say our inability to um, to face our our I'll use the the psychological buzz term our negative feelings trauma trauma uh, comes from uh, the just such a pagan influence. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, cart and the horse, chicken and the egg, uh, you know, but Eastern mysticism was a big part of the counterculture of the sixties and seventies, which, uh, psychologists latched onto and again, started to popularize these ideas of your, if you're experiencing negative feelings, that's bad. And, and, and the goal is to be able to transcend those negative feelings and not feel negative things anymore. Contrasted with remember your death. Right. Good biblical right. metaphysics. Right. Do you, um, can you think of any like prescriptive funeral practices in scripture? I don't know. I, I can't think of anything that's pers- like, okay, y'all have to do this. I think there's definitely a precedent set. I remember reading something or maybe I listened to it somewhere recently where, I mean, you see the patriarchs are all buried. I mean, they're taken back into the promised land and they're buried. 
I mean, they even take their bones. Yeah, they take their bones with them. Uh, I was reading uh, about Ananias and Sapphira to my kids mm. the other day, and just a little, just a little light reading. Pick me up, yeah, before <laughs> bedtime. Hey guys, don't lie. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, much neglected Sunday school Very, lessons. <laughs> well, hey, you're the director, so yeah, you can put that in there. this is true. Um, but it even said. Uh, Luke even says there in Acts that they went and they, they buried them. Uh, I think I remember the contrast to that. Uh, it was the pagan nations that burned bodies after that. And so why I wouldn't say that that's prescriptive per se, but say that it's definitely a, a principle. Now, when we talk to uh, Mr. Pastor Michael Foster uh, on his interview, he was pretty firm in his uh, yeah. belief that uh, what, what's called cremation. Cremation was not a biblical thing, yep. and I tend to agree with him. Just like Joe mentioned at the beginning of the episode, with uh, you know churches having uh, graveyards mm-hmm. next to them, and obviously that has to do with the resurrection of the dead. Can I can I cross pollinate? Oh please. So um, uh, this coming Saturday at our at our church, uh, we have our monthly uh, men's fellowship meeting. And, and we're going to be talking about family worship. So I was, I was reading this in Andrew Fuller, and he was talking about family worship. I'll just read this. He says, uh, It's not said of Abraham that God gave him a special precept about commanding, quote, his household after him. That's something Genesis calls out. It says, Abraham commanded his household after him. God never told Abraham, you have to have family worship. Right. But, but knew him that he would do it. God, God expected... Abraham to do this, and commends Abraham for doing it. Um, it was one of those things, and so is the other. We might say having family worship is one of those things, um, and so is burial. So is Christian burial. It's just what you do. Right. It was one of those things, and so is the other, of which it might be said, and, and I don't know which reference this is from the scriptures, but I, I recognize it. You, you need not that I write this unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to do these things. There are some things that even Paul and the apostles, in their letters to these to the New, uh, New Testament Christians, said, there are things that you know you need to do that I don't even need to tell you to do. Right. We're so detached from, from that that it's almost like, boy, that would have been nice. Yeah, come on, Paul. <laughs> we need to help. <laughs> you have no idea how lost we are going to be in yes. 2,000 years. <laughs> Could you please put that in writing? Um, Explicitly clear. Right, right. Um, and and that would be where uh, perhaps some of our, if, if we're being broadly uh, ecumenical, some of our, our friends might say, well, that's the role of tradition. Sure. Um, yeah, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that, uh, even as a evangelical Baptist uh, Sola Scriptura guy. Yeah. Um, this is one of those things uh, that that we shouldn't even need to be told. Yeah. That what what's right and wrong here? It it should be obvious to us. Now the problem is, what if it's not? That's a good question, and 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 that I think is the work. At that point, I say because I'm not boss of the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We we will reign. We will reign uh, with the angels, right? That's where I say I can do my best to try to ex- explain my point of view to people and and try to try to lay out why this matters. Uh, but if you don't see it, I still love you, and uh, you know we can we can certainly you know soldier on as brothers and sisters in Christ. But uh, Helping people to see how all these pieces fit together is 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 a long, long term uh, endeavor. Yeah, it is a long term endeavor, and and I think to your point, you don't look back over the last eighty hundred years and go, "Oh, we're trending in the right direction." Right, for sure. By deciding everything in the last five minutes is the way it needs to be done. What um one of the things that you see these days, you know, uh, I think it was um, Pastor Scott had mentioned. You know, in the South back in the day, the body might be sitting in the living room for two days. And then, you know, then they get buried. Um, then, you know, then it got moved to like a funeral home and a church. And now it's pretty much cremation. I think it's probably the norm. And we don't, um, 
you just don't see the dead body. Even even in it's like perfectly prepared state with a bunch of makeup on and you know everything all done up. Um, wh what is the role that seeing a dead body can play in being able to properly mourn? Last week, my grandmother died. Uh, she was 107. Good for her. The secret is drink your water mm. and ride your bike. I'll have to my tires when I get home. <laughs> Lots of homegrown vegetables. I knew uh, beforehand, uh, my dad called me last Monday, so this was a week and a half ago now. He told me, he told me that they were going to cremate her on Thursday. Mm -hmm. Went straight home from work and said, Hun, can we get up to Minnesota uh, tomorrow? Uh, we did. My wife is excellent at just rolling with my with my uh, uh, improvisational living. <laughs> um, and so we made the uh, six-hour drive back to my hometown to uh, to view my grandmother's body in the funeral home. Uh, it was it was on a table, uh, mostly covered, but her. Her, her head and her hands were, you know, she was wearing a, her favorite sweatshirt or something, I don't remember, but um, the, um, I, standing there, I said out loud, who wouldn't want to look at these hands one more time? Mm -hmm. That woman's hands held me as a baby. She knitted socks for me. She knitted blankets with those hands. She put up enough pickles to feed six armies in her lifetime with those hands. She uh, she delivered babies. She was an OBGYN nurse. Oh. Uh, she delivered babies with those hands. Why wouldn't you want to look at those hands one more time? So I think in a, in a fresh way, and, and it was already... I mean, I made such an effort to get up there because I was already convinced that viewing the dead body is important. Um, but it uh, it was impressed on me anew. Um, there's there's also um, the aspect of it, it was important for my children to see this. Um, I think in the same way that it's important for me to take my kids to my ancestors' graves and see their last name on a headstone. Mm -hmm. um, it's another memento mori yeah. moment. Um, it's, it, it is important because it impresses the, the reality of this. And it's important because it, it also impresses the, the reality that um, the... The, the spirit is not in the body anymore. Mm -hmm. You, that's a dead body. It, it's, it is a lifeless, it is a, it, the breath of life is gone. And, and, and to, and to, to be brought face to face with you are dust and to dust you shall return, uh, is, is an important thing for us all to have to reckon with. It's, um, and finally, I think something you said a minute ago, it is also a part of grieving well. It, it is a part of grieving uh, uh, properly to, uh, to stand there and look at uh, your loved one's remains. Uh, Grandma, her, her spirit isn't there. And, and that's, we, we affirm that, right? We, we affirm that, um, that I'm more than my body. Um, but to the cremation issue, we, we also affirm that we're not, that we are bodies. Yes. That, that we, uh, that, that flesh, God made flesh good. Um, and that's, that's why Christians have not practiced cremation. It, it's because this is our. It's it's 
it's a it's a little bit like uh, it, it's it's why suicide is wrong. We know that it's God's job to decompose this body, just like we know that it's God's job to determine the beginning and the end of my life. And so taking my own life is, is a sin uh, that usurps God's authority. Of course, we're Calvinists. We know that nothing is outside of his sovereign decree. Um, but we're also humans, and we live on a, on a, on a human scale. And so uh, the... The practice of burial is an acknowledgement that God has taken the life from this person, and so we turn we turn this person's remains back over to God. Cremation inserts ourselves into that into that um, that process mm. unnaturally. Uh, last summer, uh, as I mowed, I listened to uh, "City of God." And one of the things Augustine had to deal with were uh, people mocking the Christians and saying, um, uh, your God doesn't even love you enough to keep you from being burned. Mm. Which, which is funny, uh, given the, 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 the widespread practice of cremation at the time uh, in the pagan societies. But... Augustine's rejoinder was, it's true, God at times permits his children to be burned, but, um, but that is an aberration that God can deal with. Um, yes, God will resurrect the bodies of martyrs burned at the stake. God will do that. That's, that's his business to deal, to deal with. Uh, it is unnatural for us to insert ourselves into that process and say, well, if, you know, if, if the, if the body's just going to become dust anyway, well, let's just get this over with. Um, and I think, I guess, you know, depending on, you can, you can chase all kinds of rabbit trails, but cremation is it's also better business. Um, it's, uh, you can charge more money and do less work. Uh, and and uh, that is something that I'm sure there are people who are better uh, equipped and better uh, read on uh, that matter than I am, but I can I can tell from my armchair that um, the um, the people running uh, our memorial gardens and mausoleums today prefer cremation, uh, probably just because it means you've got more spots. Space saver. Yeah. Well, and just the labor involved. <clears throat> yeah. I, mean, I can't imagine. You know, it takes one guy mm -hmm. in front of a body, put it in a plastic bag. Versus, well, okay, well, let's get out there, let's dig a hole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we gotta have guys move everything and yeah. have to move the casket. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into yeah. body. Yeah. Um, and you know, I kind of think cremation gives you another way to not have to deal with it. Yep. You don't have to see the body. Yep. Like that, you can just push that to kind of push it farther down the road, push it out of your mind, just like we do with a lot of things. How did your kids react? If you don't mind me asking. Um, I've got. Uh, my, my daughters, I've got a daughter who's 13 and a daughter who's 10, and um, they were, they saw Daddy crying, and they wanted to come over and comfort Daddy, and they were crying too. They had, they'd had some positive interactions with my grandma. I've, um, I've lived away from my hometown um, since 1996, so um, my, my family's life has not been closely intertwined with my extended family's life, at least the family in Minnesota. Um, my my twelve year old son, um, he 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 could tell he this was a moment he needed to be respectful, uh, and so he did the best he could for as long as he could. <laughs> but um, he uh, he then moved to wandering around the room <laughs> looking at things, <laughs> um, and and my seven year old son, who is a bit more of a feeler. Uh, my, my 12 year old son is, um, he's, he's not, he, he's not expressive. He's not a feeler. 
Um, my my seven year old son is is very sensitive, and so he he could tell Daddy was sad and and wanted to wanted to comfort me. And and they, like I said, they had had some experiences with, with Grandma, um, and, but she's always been very old for their entire lives, and, and we've not lived close to them. So um, the, uh, the the kids. Uh, you know, the, the girls were, and, and my seven-year-old son were a little more sensitive. My 12-year-old son was, you know, ready to go outside and jump off snow piles uh, sure. pretty quickly. Um, but, uh, I, and I, I think there's something there to be said, too, about people are wired different. There's there's something, and, and that's that's maybe another argument for having tradition and, and guardrails. Um, you might be the sort who's who's pretty much ready to, Get on with get on to the next thing. Slow down. <laughs> we need to, we need to well, part, you know, we need to sit with this for a minute. Um, and uh, and so I guess there's for somebody who's really unexpressive, uh, the, the the more traditional approach uh, challenges them in a different way. Mm. Well, or so corrects them in a different way. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know when my my dad's mom passed my grandma. Um, my great aunt, her sister, older by a year or two, um, urged me when we went over to my uncle's house, she was living with him at the time, hey, you need to come see me all one more time. You need to come see me all one more time. I just, I didn't, and I regret that because, I mean, obviously I can picture my grandma's face. I was old enough, 13 years old. Wonderful woman. She's at the Lord. She loved the Lord. But I still was like, you know what? I really should have, you know, seen her one last time before she went. And I think I, I don't. I didn't know the importance of that, obviously, at that age. But looking back, yeah. And I'm a feeler as well, but I think that hurts a little bit more uh, coming from from my end. I one of my uh, beloved relatives said, "Well, I I don't want to see her dead body because I want to remember her as she was, you know, alive." And I just don't think that's how it works. I, I the, the last time I saw my grandma's hands and her face, she was dead. That, that doesn't mean that I have any less of, of a memory of, of her when she was alive. Um, so, you know, I think, I mean, so much of what we've absorbed is just pure sentiment, sentimentality. Sure. Um, and, and things that, that would sound good on Oprah. But with that, um, the second article, Peter, that you had suggested, um, I can't remember who it's by now, at the end of him, he was on the kind of the same trajectory as Beef was. Um, reader, Harry Reader. Harry Reader. I really liked what he said, because I had heard this quote before, Deal movie. I want to say he was speaking to Horatio Spafford, if I remember correctly, um, around the time that he lost his family and, and wrote it as well. Um, but he said, you know, hey, Horatio, one day you're going to get a telegram that says that your dear friend, the old movie, has passed. And he said, don't you believe a word of it. I'll be, I'll be more alive than I am now. And that, that, I mean, that, well, I can't remember what book I read that out of, but it just kind of slapped me across the face with a, a joyful slap, though, like, hey, guess what? I'm not gone forever, you know? We talked with, uh... Michael Foster about the death of a child. Um, I know many good brothers and sisters in Christ who uh, who've gone through miscarriages or the death of a very young child, and I fully believe that they're with the Lord right now. And my grandma is with the Lord. Uh, when my great aunt goes, guess what? She's going to be with the Lord. And uh, and, and I, we won't mourn with with hopelessness. What a blessing that is. I, I, was this in the Beath article? Somebody said. Um, a proper funeral isn't for the departed person. Yeah. A proper funeral is for the survivors. Yes. Um, which, I don't know, maybe somebody's going to say, well, you've just you've just come full circle and now it's all about you again. But the point is, is that the point is to, um, again, focus our grief um, and, yes, rejoice that death is swallowed up in victory that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Um, it, it's, it's, um, it's, it's 
it is too reductionistic uh, to say, um, I want my funeral to just be a great big party because I'm in heaven, and too reductionistic to say, uh, my, my funeral has to be um, uh, this, um, some kind of punishment <laughs> to, to, the, to my survivors. <laughs> I want them to feel it. Right. <laughs> it's it's supposed to be a service to them, yeah. uh, to help them channel their grief in, in God-honoring and, and in, in Christian ways. So, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just thinking of my grandma, my, my dad's mom. Now, she died right at the beginning of COVID, so her church was shut down, so we weren't able to have a memorial service till just last year. But anyways, she had written out a whole service. And I think we, I think like, 45 minutes of it was singing hymns. She loved to sing. She <laughs> I was a music that. director for a long time. And we ended, I think we ended with the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel. And uh, it was, it was awesome. great. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Um, for the most part. There, there's an aspect of rejoicing that is, yeah. that is right in, you know, we're, we're, we're so either or people, you know, we're, yeah. why can't we be more both? Yeah. 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 Uh, we we need to we need to be able to say both with DL Moody DL Moody there. Um, I I rejoice that that Christ has received my loved one uh, into glory, um, while also not not shortcutting things. Yeah, not being flippant about it. Right. We we want the shortcut. Yeah. We we want. We want the, the the instant. Get me through this. Yeah. Uh, get me to the part where I'm happy again. Well, think about Pilgrim's Progress, swimming the river there. Yeah. And you have um, was it ignorance? I think tried to take the shortcut with the ferryman. Took the ferry, yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean that's what we want, right? Yeah. We don't want to actually have to swim through the river of death. Yeah. To get to glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't want to feel it. Which I guess kind of kind of goes into what I wanted to bring up next was um, in this article, you know. You've got, you've got the family there. You've got in a Christian funeral. Probably, I mean, other Christians, but you're gonna have non-Christians at this funeral too. And how important it is to get to the part where people really need to feel the weight of this, um, even even when they don't want to, because they don't want to. I know that for a fact. Yeah, we really do a disservice to those um, who are there if we aren't being somber and serious and presenting the weight of it. Yeah, and getting to the point that, um, hey, we, we, we're dealing with eternity here, and yeah. we need to really talk about that. Uh, I had the opportunity to preach a, I don't know if you call it a funeral or visitation or whatever. My wife's grandfather <clears throat> passed away several years ago, and I was scared to death to do it. One of the best experiences I could have ever gone through, though, um, just to have an entire room of people, most of whom who do not know the Lord, locked in on you, no distractions, every eye was on me, and just to lay the gospel out. And I had a lot of people give me some really ugly looks, and a lot of people didn't like it, um, but who knows what the Lord will do with that. And that's also, a, in a weird way to say, the blessing of the funeral, is that the death of somebody, whether they're saved or not, can have an opportunity to hear about Christ, so that their unbelieving family member they don't follow them, you know, to help. Right. Yeah. Joe, do you have any um, guidelines for a solid funeral that you've ever thought of? Figure, put some emphasis on that, or maybe some of your own things you want to do. Yeah, is there anything? Or is that even right? Should we pretty much just go by the little black book that the you know the pastor has, and mm-hmm. you know he's got his liturgy laid out there, and we? Yeah, I'm. I'm probably going to de- default to. I want the most traditional, unoriginal, vanilla, vanilla porter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I want I want the most um, uh, traditional service that you know that that I can I can dig up in. Now, uh, I I, do, I have a, a copy of the Book of Common Prayer, although Bunyan went to prison because he wouldn't 
<laughs> you're not a real Baptist. I know, I know. Um, but they, but uh, my Lutheran and my Anglican friends, um, they do have some some very um, uh, useful guidance uh, for keeping it on track. Um, so I don't, I don't really have um, anything other than to say I haven't, I, I don't have my funeral planned out, and I, uh, I probably should. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I do think there's an element of thinking about that before. Yeah. Because that probably plays into cremation, too, is people don't think about the fact that they're going to die before they're going to die. And then the family is stuck. And in, at least in America, to get buried properly is, you know, the price has gone, I think it's probably $10,000 or something. It's a crazy amount. You know, but then they advertise cremation for... Eight hundred dollars, and mm. you're sitting here with a sudden expense, and mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of different things that go into it. And that's that's an area where the church could really minister yes. to to its people. Yes, and um, and that that's something that uh, in in this in this age, I think that that's a great opportunity for the church to step up and say, um, we're going to take we're going to. Maybe we can't take care of the whole thing for you, but we are going to help you uh, do this uh, so that you, you know. But obviously, the better thing to do is to plan for it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, I know we're going to wrap things up here in a little bit. Um, A few things before we go. Um, We've got a few more episodes kind of touching on um, death, funerals, kind of in that same vein. I know we'd like to have maybe a pastor on or two to talk about uh, counseling uh, believers, mm-hmm. uh, pe- uh, believers who are dying, whether you're with a terminal illness or anything like something like that. We also want to have uh, a pastor on to talk about counseling unbelievers, you know, an unbelieving friend who's going through things like that. So listener, if you've, uh, if you've made it this far with us, uh, think about uh, what you want to do when it comes to the end of your life, uh, planning a funeral, uh, getting those things in order. I think also a good episode in the future would be a, like a practical, how do we prepare like financially for mm-hmm. those things? How to how do we go about getting a plot, things like that? Where do we want to be buried? Husband and wife plan, two for a plan. What do, you guys think about, what do you guys think about family plots? I like them. <laughs> you like the idea? Well, yeah. I mean, I might, you know, come out as some sort of like anti-governmentalist in this, but I, mean, I think I should be able to be buried on my land. In well, a I, I agree 100%. So, but. Missouri's a good place for that. I haven't looked into the laws. I guess I should. Are we allowed to? Yes. Okay. We, we, we have we have some of the more lenient uh, laws in the. We actually looked at a house a couple of years ago, and it had a little card out for a cemetery. That's dope. Yeah, um, yeah. It was it was interesting. I, I've gone back and forth. And I, I, I on the one hand, I really like the idea. Uh, on the other hand, it, I I think is this something like who's what sphere. Does this belong to? Does it belong to the church? Does it belong to the to the, the household? Um, I, I, I sure don't think it belongs to the state. Uh, but uh, so I've gone back and forth on, on family plots versus uh, church plots. Mm-hmm. Where my um, uh, I have relatives from Central Minnesota in uh, the town of New Ulm. Um, I've uh, I got a picture on my phone of me standing next to my great grandfather's headstone. Um, and, uh, in New Ulm, it's a, it's a, a German, it was a German settlement, uh, in the 1800s in, in central Minnesota. And, uh, it was a, it was a town really split between Lutherans and, and Roman Catholics. And, um, there are two cemeteries in town. Uh, they, uh, there's the, uh, the Roman Catholic one, and then there's the Protestant one. And, but they are right next to each other, which I think that's all right. Um, the uh, so so there too. It's like where there 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 are social aspects to death, right? Sure. There are, there's there are social um, uh, implications for how we bury one another, uh, and 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 I mean I, you mentioned um, prenatal infanticide earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I think that's related. How 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 do we treat how do we treat people? Um, 
and and yeah, and those babies aren't even given a burial whatsoever. I mean, right? Often they're just harvested. I mean, they're yes, 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 disposed of yeah. as medical waste. Yep. Yeah. If you don't see the, if you don't see the connection, if you don't see the correlation there, if you don't see, um, a, 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 if you don't see those two things rhyming, I, I think you need to stare at them a little bit longer uh, until you see it, because um, the uh, the way that we treat the dead um, says a lot about us. So, yeah, here, here. That's all I have to say about that. Mm -hmm. So, you ready to wrap it up? Sure. Let's do it. I'm getting tired. Yeah, it's late. Thanks, guys. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you oh, for joining us. For yeah. yeah, we appreciate it. So, I mean, you know, the fee is so large, you can't really pass it they up. Were, yeah, they were very kind to me. Know. They paid me in uh, books. Thank you, gentlemen. You're welcome, bro. Well, uh, we need to edit that out. I don't want to make any promises. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they won't like the books we go. Um, if you are, uh, if you are listening, which you are, that's a stupid. See, I told you I'm tired. If you've made it this far, if you've made it this far, please go to your favorite podcasting platform: Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you listen. Please like and leave some positive reviews, comment, all that good stuff. Support the show. Again, thank you for listening to Death and Glory. Um, Death and Glory exists, and I won't have it on there. Because... Come on, bro. You're fired. I'll have to look it up. I didn't know you were going to read it. To Canaan's land, I'm on my way where the soul of man never dies. My darkest night will turn today, the soul of man never dies. Dear friends, there'll be no sad farewell, there'll be no tear dim nights. Where all is peace and joy and love, where the soul of man never dies. A rose is growing there for me, where the soul of man never dies. And I will spend eternity, where the soul of man never dies. Dear friends, there'll be no sad farewell, there'll be no tear-dim nights. Where all is peace and joy and love, where the soul of man never dies.